Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, for those of you that uh, haven't journeyed with us over the last month, uh, we have been examining some of the teachings of Christ. And uh, always good to take a closer look, pull out your magnifying glass, and examine the words of Christ a bit more closer. And uh, we've been looking at the impact of understanding eternal realities and how that can change and prioritize our lives now. That when you understand that literally life here on earth, whatever you are given, no man knows the day or the hour. We can boast about how long we've got to live, but nobody really knows except for him. That destiny of the transition from this life to the next. But what we do understand is that this life literally is like a drop of water in the ocean. The time span here is so, so minutely short compared to world without end forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Eternity is a long time. And so the premise of this series is that when we gain an eternal perspective, when we understand that this life isn't it, but we're just transitioning from this life into eternity, that what we do now has a huge ramification and large consequences on what's going to happen with you in eternity. Can I hear an amen this morning? And sometimes we need to just allow the Holy Spirit to reinforce this truth into our lives time and time again. Because sometimes, like the prophets of old said, we are dull of hearing. We can hear it, but we're not hearing. Remember, Jesus talked like that. He said, I'm speaking, but you're not hearing. And that's why the book of Revelation says, he who has ears, let him hear. So he's not just talking about these things that sometimes are painted on, all right? He's talking about the spiritual ears of your heart for them to be open in order to receive spiritual truth and reality. You know, we talked just by way of short introduction that Jesus gave us a commandment in one of the parables and he said this, do business till I come. What sort of business was he talking about? Well, it's in the context of the nobleman who gave 10 minutes and he said, do business. I'm going to come back and I'm going to return. And when I come back, I'm going to come and see each one of you and I'm going to come back and see what you have gained. There was no thought of negative gearing. There was no thought of coming back for something that was less than what he'd given. Jesus had an expectation that when he came and returned, there was to be gain on what had already been given. Ten plus something. And of course, the first man had ten more. So he had twenty all up. Well done, good and faithful servant. I will place you in charge of ten cities. Likewise, the, the, the next person, he gained five more. He had fifteen. I'll place you in charge of five cities. But the final person in the parable he comes to and he says, I kept it in a handkerchief because I considered you to be an austere, a hard, a stern boss. Therefore, I didn't want to lose anything. So I've kept it in a hanky to make sure that I'll give back what you gave to me. You wicked and slothful servant was the reply. You see, Jesus doesn't always speak nicey-nicey words. Sometimes the truth can be so powerful 
that it confronts us. And so out of this, we see that there is a number of things. First of all, we see this, is that eternity isn't going to be sitting on cloud nine with your golden harp playing songs and sitting back in your lazy boy forever and ever. Eternity is an incredible place. If you think if you just need to watch any of the David Attenborough documentaries, and what amuses me is that he's still an evolutionist, and yet he's discovered the most miraculous truths of creation, and he puts them on screen so everybody can actually see there is a God when they look at his programs. But we, we see that there is eternity is going to be so much better than earth. So if we have responsibility now, don't just think that actually eternity is all about living in the Mediterranean on the new, in the new earth forever and ever. Well, I think I'll spend, I think I'll spend 100 years in the Mediterranean and then I think I might, uh, you know, I might head across uh, down to the South Pacific and go and visit Tahiti for another 100 years. Friends, that's not what eternity is all about. In fact, God is actually preparing everything you go through in this life as a preparation for the next. This is but a dress rehearsal for eternity. So therefore, your decisions, the way you live your life right now, has huge implications on what's going to take place in eternity. It's not about a gospel of works. We're not talking about that because our ticket's been paid for by Christ. He's, he's given you a new passport. If you believe in Jesus today, you can now transfer from one country to another, from the country of the kingdom of the earth to the country of the kingdom of heaven. Your passport has been stamped by Christ. You are part of an eternal destination. But that doesn't mean that your, your eternal destination has all been mapped out for you. That's what God's preparing you for now. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is returning for a bride that's without spot, wrinkle or blemish. What does that mean? That means he's at work in you, through you, around you, upon you, because he's preparing you for eternity. I don't want to turn up. I don't want to turn up on that stage and suddenly realize that all those opportunities that God gave to me, I spurned them and I didn't count them as being significant and all of a sudden I get to heaven and I feel like I'm underdressed, if you know what I mean, spiritually. And so this morning, I'd just like to introduce our message with a short illustration, simply this. Right now, believe it or not, the power of the sun is the same as it is in the middle of summer. The earth has tilted a fraction which means we're now in New Zealand on the wrong side of the tilt, which means it's got a few degrees colder than what it has in the summer. There might be some clouds up there, but right now the heat of that sun is just as powerful as it is in the middle of summer, but there's some clouds in the way from emitting the radiance of that sun. Now, when we have a lunar eclipse, this is what takes place. The moon has been blocked by an object. That object is Earth. And what it does is it darkens the surface of the moon because the Earth has gotten in between the moon and the sun. Are you with me so far? That's what we call a lunar eclipse. But you see, the thing is, is this, is that everybody wants the brilliance and the radiance of God's sunshine in their life. But the problem is this, friends, is that sometimes this world order and this earth gets in the way and you end up not being able to receive the full blast of the radiance of the sun, the S-O-N, into your lives. Because earth and the things of the earth have somehow gotten in the way and it's not as clear as it used to be. And that's what we're going to tackle today in our message. So Father, just help us as we open Luke 12, as we open the Word of God, we pray your Word would be quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke, it's interesting. We see in Luke, 
Uh, we see in verses 11, 12, and uh, that Jesus is teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's actually preaching a sermon on the person of the Holy Spirit. He talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about that one day there'll be a time in your lives as followers of me where you'll be persecuted, where you'll be arrested, where they're going to take you away and they're going to cause you to stand up in court. And, and he says, don't worry about the defence. Don't worry about what you're going to say in that day because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Are you with me, guys? So he's saying, depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do it for you. Don't rely on yourselves. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Then suddenly there's a guy in the congregation listening and he suddenly blurts out, We're right in the middle of a deep spiritual, it would be similar to me preaching today, and one of you would get up and say, Pastor, I want you to help me with my money issues. And he interrupts Jesus' preaching on the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, this is, we've gone from a high and lofty subject of the Holy Spirit giving you inspiration to a guy standing up in church and being in a completely different headspace. And, and, he, and he's saying, I, want, I don't want to go to Roman law to sort out my lawsuit against my brother because he's got all the family inheritance at the moment. I want you to tell him, Jesus, to share the money equally with me. Divide up the family inheritance. Because Jews would often go to Jewish rabbis. Jesus was a rabbi to get a ruling on a civil issue. Wow, this tells us something about what's going on in this man's life. And so Jesus has a curious response. Verse 14, but Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Isn't this interesting? And the you is plural, by the way, so his brother's obviously in the crowd because he's talking to more than one. The you is more than one. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you and your brother with this family inheritance issue? Well, hang on a minute. Isn't Jesus the righteous judge? Shouldn't he be able to carry out the situation? And Jesus is saying, hang on a minute. Who made me ruler over you? So why does he respond like this? Because you see, he's preaching on spiritual realities and suddenly this guy is focusing on earthly monetary stuff. This guy's like saying to Jesus, all that Holy Spirit stuff, that's all good stuff, but hey, I've got to live here on earth now. I've got some money issues and I want you to sort it out. Anybody ever feel like that sometimes? And this is the context that Jesus begins to talk to. He's saying, well, if you want me to fix this inheritance issue, if you're asking me to get involved in this discussion, young man, then I'm not going to limit my answer to what the question is that you're answering me. I'm going to take, I'm going to look at the fruit of what you've asked me and I'm going to take it to the root. Hello. That's why people start following Jesus until he goes beyond the fruit of our lives and starts addressing the roots of our lives. In other words, friends, he doesn't just listen to our information of what we've got to say, but he actually he wants to know, why are you saying what you're saying? I want to go deeper under the covers here, and I want to get to the root, young man, of why you're so focused on money this morning. Wow. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Verse 15. And he said to them, the NIV says, watch out and be aware, be, beware of all forms of greed. The King James says, take heed and beware of covetousness, which is another name, a flash name for greed. Covetous, always wanting more, always wanting more of the things of this world. 
Beware of covetousness, beware of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. So Jesus is now hitting the root of this young man's life. He's getting down to the question, why did you ask me that question? It's like when you're talking to somebody and you know they're giving you information, but you, you, you're, what you're saying to them is, what are you really asking me as to why you've asked me that question? The message translation says this, speaking to the people, Jesus went on, take care. Listen to this, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. He's saying, watch out, take care, because there's all different forms of greed that's going to come barking at your door. And I want you to beware of that spirit of covetousness coming around your life. So let's define greed, what it is and what it isn't this morning. Friends, greed has got nothing to do with how much money you have. It's got nothing to do with the size of your bank account. It's got nothing to do with the neighborhood you live in. It's got nothing to do with the type of house that you live in today. The clothes that you wear or the cars that you drive. Greed has nothing to do with any of that. The fact of money or possessions does not equal greed today. You can be rich and be greedy and you can be poor and be greedy. Come on. It's got something to do with something else that affects money and possessions. Biblically, greed is all to do with whether you've placed the physical world ahead of the spiritual world. Greed is actually an issue of priorities. Isn't that interesting? Greed's got to do with pursuing things to the extent that you've blocked and boxed God out of your life. He's no longer front and center because the pursuit of things has overtaken your love for God. It's gone quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. We're greedy when we love the money that we don't even have right now, but we want to have. When that pursuit of things has blocked God out of our lives, His purposes, His kingdom, and His plans, Jesus said, watch out. Beware of all forms of greed. And here's the truth, friends, is that once God is made second, the physical world has trumped, bad pun these days, has trumped the spiritual world. And we've entered into greed and the love of what money can buy us has taken us over. Greed is the passionate pursuit of things at the expense of the spiritual. So it actually becomes a priority issue within our life. And Jesus said, watch out for every form of greed. In other words, there's many, many different ways. There's religious greed. We've seen religious greed. We've seen religious greed preached from pulpits. We've seen religious breed being breeded in the lives of congregations. And it goes a little bit like this is that if you'll simply name it, you can claim it. If you can believe it, you can have it. There's religious greed that's masked as prosperity theology in the world today. Do you believe that God can bless people? Yes, I can, but just because you sprinkle Jesus' name all over what you want doesn't mean that you can have what you want. Come on. We can get all spiritual about it, but the truth of the matter is, is that we're using God as a Santa Claus and he becomes our financier and he's now our servant because he gets what I want. Hmm. I'm real quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Let me ask you a question today. When God told Moses, uh, when God got Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, where did he tell them to let the people go to? 
The promised land? Did I hear that? Promised land? No. Someone else? The wilderness. Moses asked Pharaoh to let the people of God go so they could go and worship God in the desert. How many mansions are in the desert? How many fast and furious cars are in the desert? How much bling is in the desert? How much of Hollywood is in the desert? Friends, here's the deal. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let the people of God go because God, first of all, before He entered His people into the land of promise, into the land of milk and honey, into the land of blessing, into the land of God showing His favour upon them, first of all, He wanted His people to connect with Him in worship, in the place where there were no things, where there were no stuff, so that first of all, they can get a connection with God. So that later on when they are blessed and when God does bring them into the promised land where the grapes are bigger than apples, where it's a land flowing with prosperity, that they wouldn't forget God because they connected with God first in the desert before they came under the blessing. Wow. Thank you, Father. I want them to meet me before they meet my blessing. Because if they skip me and go directly to the blessing, they're going to get so enthralled with the blessing that they're going to forget me. Wow. You see, God doesn't mind you having a promised land as long as you don't skip Him on the way there. Can I say that again? God doesn't mind you having a promised land as long as you don't skip Him on your way there. Hallelujah. That's why in Deuteronomy 8, God tells them, I fed you in the wilderness. I looked after you. I provided manna from heaven. I provided water in the desert. I gave you shoes that would never wear out. I gave clothes on your body and I put my anointing on them so that those clothes never wore out. In 40 years, you wore the same pair of shoes, even though you're walking round and round in circles. I provided for you. I took care of it. I looked after you so that you won't forget me when you come into that promised land, into that time and season where favour hits your life, that suddenly you don't forget who I am. Beware, Jesus said, of all forms of greed. So we've got religious greed. We use God like a financier to get what we want. It reminds me actually of a joke. A man rung the church and the secretary answered the phone. And the man at the phone says, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. And the secretary says, excuse me, sir. I want to meet the head hog at the trough. Sir, how rude of you. We do not talk about our senior pastor like that. I hope. <laughs> I will not allow you to speak to our pastor. You're being so rude. I'm sorry, ma'am. I was just wanting to talk to him. I wanted to donate $100,000 to the church. Oh, hang on a minute. I can hear the little pig walking down the corridor right now. <laughs> you see, greed can also take personal forms in our lives. Your pursuit of your career at great losses of other priorities. What does the Bible say? Matthew 6.33, seek ye the kingdom of and his and all these things. Well, you guys have got it this morning. You're on a roll. Our pursuit of financial security, our pursuit of a reputation out there in the world, our pursuit of economic gain. But in the midst of it all, we're pushing God out of the picture. You see, when your promotion in this world order pushes God onto the sideline, You've become greedy, and maybe you don't even realize it, and I don't even realize it when it comes to us today. Some, sometimes it can take on a family form. Look how, many, look how many couples divorce and fight over money. It's at an epidemic proportion in the world today. 
where self rises to do battle over money and possessions. We see it happening everywhere. Where debt is accumulated, friends, because, listen, because godliness with contentment, which the scripture says has great gain, godliness with contentment, that you're content with what you have, that you haven't entered into greed, the pursuit of stuff at the expense of God within your life. Godliness with contentment, Paul said, is great gain. But where you have accumulated debt because you just have to have it. But didn't you just get the old one six months ago? Yeah, but that's old now. There's a new model that's out now. Here's a few simple ways to know if greed is getting a hold of you. What about when you're complaining far more than you are thanking God for what he's given to you? That's a sure sign that greed is barking at your door. What about if you're always talking about what you don't have rather than what God has already given to you this morning? That's what we call discontentment. Look at this where Paul, by the way, he's writing this, the great apostle, who, by the way, understood deep truths about money and financial security, and he's now imprisoned in a prison cell, writing to the church at Philippi from his prison cell, and this is what he says in Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And he went on to say, sometimes I've known the overflowing abundance of God within my life. Sometimes it's felt like I've been in great need. But whatever state I am, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what the scripture goes on to say in the fourth chapter of Philippians. So is it wrong to want to do better? Of course it's not. But this is where the balancing act comes in for all of our lives. To live in a state of perpetual unease and discontentment, always wanting more things is an indicator, friends, today, that greed may be chasing us down and pushing God out. Can I hear a quiet amen this morning? Another indicator that greed may have been barking at your door is that you're, you're so, your your debt You're full to debt to the eyeballs. And because of that, you can no longer give to the kingdom of God because you've got nothing, no margins left in your budget because it's been completely swallowed by debt. What you, you have to pay the bank, the mortgage, the higher purchase. And by the time you get to all your payments and then you pay your food and your rent and your power bill, there's nothing left for the kingdom of God. That's a sure sign, friends, that greed has chased us down and boxed God out. Jesus says, watch out. Take heed for every form of greed. Why does he say that? Look at verse 15. The end of verse 15. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You see, the world... The tabloids, the magazines, Hollywood, the movies, the world will give a message. And the message is, is that your life equals your possessions. That your life equals the amount and the size of your bank account. That's the subtle message, friends. That your life equals your possessions. If you don't have much, then you don't have much of a life. That's what the world will take to you. But there's deception in this today to think that the things that you own are going to give you life is a deception. Jesus said your life won't come from the things that you own. Your life won't be defined by your possessions and the things that you have. That's not life. Life is not having bigger, better, grander, more. That's not where life comes from. That new house the couple was so happy to move into. And within a few months, they're so happy to move out of because they can no longer afford to pay for it. But they just had to have it. 
It's not life, friends. It's stuff. And stuff has its place in our lives, but doesn't have the overriding place. Amen? Because life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess today. So how does this relate to our series this morning? I think you can kind of see where the Lord is coming from here. He then goes on to tell a parable. As Jesus so often did, friends, I want to tell you, this is why parables are so powerful. In fact, most of Jesus' parables were the result of somebody coming to him and asking him a question. And he gave an answer they weren't expecting because he didn't address the information of the question. He addressed the motives of the heart as to why the person was asking the question. So he goes on to tell a story. And here's the story. Verse 16. Then he spoke a parable. An earthly story, a parable is an earthly story that illustrates a spiritual reality. And this is what he says. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. So this tells us a little bit the man he's talking about. He's successful. He's got abundance. He has plenty. He's what so many dream to be. They consider this is success. I've now made it. I'm productive. I'm fruitful. I'm rich. I've got lots of money and lots of things. Verse 17 and 18 goes on to tell us a little bit more about this man. And he thought, who? The rich man, the businessman. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I, by the way, go over this parable. He refers to himself no less than 14 times in a very short story. I shall do this. I shall have this. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? You get the picture? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I'll build greater. Woo! Come on, bigger, better. Let's have more. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. So where are you taking us, Mr. Businessman? Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. We were having a conversation about this before church with a couple of the brothers. The older you get, the more you start thinking about retirement. Where one day somebody isn't going to own your eight to five. But you're going to have the freedom to pursue what you want to do. So you plan and you prepare. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there was a slight problem here that our wealthy man forgot in the process. What's the problem? This is where the story gets super interesting. Verse 20. But God. Let's say that together. But God. Two very significant words. But God said to him, full. Full. This night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will those things, that stuff that you've been accumulating, who's that going to go to for which you have provided? Friends, our story gets interesting here because our Mr. Businessman had made a major miscalculation. He was assuming something. He was assuming he was going to get to retirement. He was assuming that he could wander in and register for the pension, that that day would come for his life. He was assuming that he could eat, drink, and be merry and live his life at ease. That was all going to be about his party. And he was doing what many, many people do today. They put off God until they get time. Hello? Put off God until I don't have to work. Put off ministry to others until I can get around to it. Put off the business of building the kingdom until I've got more time up my sleeve. But what this businessman didn't account for in his calculations was two word, but God. But God said to the man, full, full. You know, planning ahead is not to be discouraged, it's to be encouraged. 
But the problem with this man is that he was strategizing and planning ahead, as we saw. I'll build bigger, I'll build better, I'll store up more so that I can be at ease with himself. The thing is, friends, is that he didn't put any divine considerations into the equation. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with all these things that at the end of the day, they've actually come from you? And we're going to get into that in just a minute. You see, first... Timothy warns us of acting independently of God when wealth comes into our bank account. Even if it's not in your bank account. Why is the gospel so much better received in nations that have poverty? Because they don't have things to contend with their relationship with God. They don't have anything. Why do we see great healings? In the third world, supernatural signs, wonders and miracles more than we see in the Western world because they haven't got a hospital to take the sick to. So they've got to rely on God. So what's wrong in our planning, friends, is that when we lose perspective and in 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 18, we've touched on this a fraction, but we're going to go there this morning is that he talks about when you come into wealth, when you come into money to not Lose the eternal perspective around your lives. And he warns us in this passage that the love of money, not money, money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all. And this is where this whole message that Jesus gave is coming from. He's talking about the motive around money, not money itself. Money's not evil. If post transactions aren't evil, mark of the beast, woo, 666. The chip is coming, the chip is coming. And we get all upset. Friends, all that stuff, that's not necessarily wrong. However, when it does come, don't even take the mark on yourself. The scripture warns. But the deal is that this, he's, he's saying what is in your heart towards money, stuff and possessions that has the potential to push God out of the equation so that you're running solo and you're making independent decisions that don't involve God. Let's read a couple of the verses. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command. Whoa. I always think this is amusing. He's writing, remember, Timothy is a pastor. He's commanding the pastor to tell the rich people in his congregation some things. How many rich people are going to receive that from the pastor this morning? Command those who are rich in this present age... Not to be haughty. What does that mean? Don't be arrogant with all your wealth. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're the man of the moment. Nor to trust in, listen, uncertain riches. Wow. In other words, the things of this world, there's nothing certain about anything that you can buy off the shelf or in the showroom. Riches are uncertain. They're temporary They wear out, they lose their shine, they lose their smell, and all of a sudden you need a new one. But they are, there's nothing certain about riches today. But to trust in the living God, listen to this, because this is not, you you listen to a message like this from Jesus and you think, oh, he's anti people who have money. No, he's not. Listen to this, plain and simple. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Praise God, somebody said. Amen. God wants you to enjoy some of the things that money can buy. But in the same breath, this is what he says. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. What's the time to come? Heaven, eternity. So by being generous with what they've got, those who have stuff, he's saying you are actually building a foundation for eternity that one day will be revealed of the kind of life that you've lived on earth because you were so willing to give and to share with those in need. And he says, plain and simple, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, friends, every time we give and we share, the world is losing its grip on us. 
Every time we give and we share, we're laying hold of eternal life because we're going in the face of the opposite spirit of the world that says, take, take, take. And when you give, give, give. Eternal life. You're laying hold of eternity. You've got an eternal perspective knowing that your true rewards are in heaven, not here on earth. Wow, isn't that awesome? So, what are we to be rich in? We're to be rich in good works towards others, ready to give, ready to share. And you know, I know, I I mean, I've met a lot of wealthy people over the years. And some some of my best friends that I've got all around the world, I've made friends all around the world. Some of them are incredibly wealthy. But you know what? I never ask them for money. Never. You can ask my wife. I never ask them for money. Because the moment I ask them for money, they're always going to be asking me, asking the question of me, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. What's he really after? Is he after my friendship or is he after my money? Amen? It's God's prerogative to move people's hearts when there is a need, not mine. So, The more blessed we are, the more responsibility we have to be a blessing to others. Amen. That's the Abrahamic covenant. You are blessed in order to be a blessing to others this morning. We're coming in for a landing shortly, folks. You know, Isaiah 56.2 gives us the spirit of this age. It's the attitude of many. Isaiah 56 verse 12. Come, they say, let us get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. I think this is really amusing. Then tomorrow we'll do it all over again. Another hangover. Another trying to get out of bed in the morning. And let's have an even bigger party tomorrow. Doesn't that sound painful? (laughs) Man. There's no consideration of living with an eternal perspective when we live our lives like this. We're just living for fun. We're living for the here and now. We have no consideration for others. So when we plan out our future, friends, and we have no consultation with the Lord, no divine considerations in our planning, like this man who said, I'll just build bigger, bigger barns so that I can live a life of ease when I stop working. We forget something. We're not in charge of time. But God said to this man, full, this night, your soul shall be required of you. Hebrews 9.27 says this, it's appointed for men to die once. That kills reincarnation right there. Reincarnationists will tell you that you die and come back as another creature, insect, ant, something in another life that's why they'll never squash an ant because that could have been their grandfather <laughs> the scripture says no you only get to die once and then what after this the judgment <laughs> in other words friends death is not final it's simply a transition from this world into the next world into eternity And you and I are going to leave this earth by appointment. I want to tell you something. How many of you struggled to make appointments on time? (laughs) There's some honest people in here. Oh, but it was the traffic, Pastor James. Traffic, the traffic's so bad. Well, I want to tell you something. There's one appointment you will never be late for. (laughs) And you don't get to choose it. Full. This night, your soul shall be required of you. What does full mean in the Greek? (laughs) It literally means mindless, thoughtless, or in today's language, stupid. (laughs) He was literally calling this business guy, you stupid man. You thoughtless, mindless Foolish, stupid individual. Translated from the Greek. So let's not be stupid. God says that we're stupid if we're banking all of our weight on stuff and things 
and causing our life to be built on possessions and gain and materialism. He said, you're stupid. You've forgotten me. We're supposed to be living this life, walking it together. And I want you to consult me with what I've given to you because I want, I've blessed you for a reason. And that reason is to be a blessing to others. Oh, Father God. So, we're all trying to make it. We get educated in order to make it. We put in overtime in order to make it. We connect and, and work our network to get the connections in order to make it. And we get consumed with trying to make it. Just like this businessman in the story. But we forget along the way, friends, that everything in this story that this man was using to try and make it actually depended on God and he forgot that. The scripture says, let's review it. The scripture says he had productive land. Well, who made the land? Isn't it real estate? Well, what's fake estate? Real estate, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That piece of ground, he actually owns it. All right? So it said it was plentiful and it produced much. Well, to produce stuff out of the ground, having grown up, up on a farm, I know this, to produce stuff out of the ground, friends, you need rain. So do you think this businessman owned the rain? Do you think he could make rain? Do the rain dance? <laughs> what else do you need to have a productive farm? You need sun. Do you think this farmer owned the sun? So friends, let's get it into perspective. Everything that he had was a result of creation and stuff that God made and he forgot the author of his success. <sighs> These are powerful lessons. They're so good for all of our lives. You know, as I read the words of Jesus, I've got to allow my heart to be open to say, James, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord. Let the words of Jesus penetrate your being. Let the words of Jesus hit the mark for which they've been intended for. So friends, the truth is this, is that time is in his hands and he could call your name or my name tonight. And we'll never be late for that appointment when he calls us. So how do we be truly rich in this life? Thinking from an eternal perspective. Our last passage of scripture says this, James 4 verse 13. Come now. What should I say? Come to your senses is what he means. Come to your senses. You who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to do such and such. And we're going to go to such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. They're talking about doing the deal. They're talking about business. They're talking about making, making money. Verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapour that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Wow, your life is a vapour. Here, gone. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, and this is how we'd be truly rich, friends, if the Lord wills, if this is God's plan and I'm in consult consultation with Him and I'm in relationship, the closer I get to Him, the easier I can hear and for Him to direct my life with what I should be doing with what He's given to me. And surprise, surprise, the closer you get to God, the less hold things have on you. The less hold this world has on you and I, the closer we are to God, the less that grip of stuff can have over us today. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance. What's the arrogance? The arrogance, friends, is that you think you've got the timeline under control. We all know someone, every single person in this room knows somebody who suddenly died. And it's tragic. When there's, it's okay, when someone reaches 70, we can think to ourselves, well, they've had a reasonably good life. 
You know, the closer you get to 70, you think actually 70 is quite young. 70 is quite young. I used to think, 70, man, that's, that's prehistoric. That's dinosaur stuff. But the closer I'm getting to 70, 70 is actually quite young. But if you get to 70, you think, yeah, okay, that's a good life. But what about when somebody suddenly drops dead going for a run at the age of 45? You think they planned for that that day? They had no idea what was coming their way. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil today. And that's why, friends, people who have so much and keep on accumulating stuff are often the most miserable people in the world. Why? Because they're not including God in their stuff. And they just get more. You read it in the tabloids and you just think, flip, these guys, they've got five seaside mansions all around the world. They've got private jets. They've got all this. They've got all that. And there's another divorce. There's another relationship. There's another thing. And, and the world's obsessed with it. They want to know. All the gossip collars, they're putting all the... Everybody buys it. Everybody buys it. Because they're enchanted with this false world and this false economy. So to conclude this morning... The question that I guess Jesus was intending. Who was this sermon to? Well, it's to all of us, but who was it directed to? The man who wanted Jesus to judge between him and his brother on the family inheritance. What a long answer. But what a powerful answer that he's talking about today. But God is the key to our future knowing that he is in control. A businessman has an encounter with an angel. And he says to the angel, angel, you know the future. You can show me the stock market in six months' time. Just give me a a little glance at the newspaper six months ahead. And then I'll know where to put all my money in stocks today. And in six months' time, I'll be rich. It's commonly known as insider trading. So he thinks he'll get a bit of a divine connection from the angel and the angel, so the angel complies. And he shows him the newspaper clipping of the stock market six months ahead of time. And he's taking it all in as he's looking ahead into this. Oh, that's that's gone up. That's got okay, I'll put my money in there. And he happens to glance at the right-hand column of the stock market. And it's the obituary column. And there is his name. Jack Frost. Born such and such dash. Died such and such a date. Six months ahead of time. What are you going to do with your dash? You're here today because God's given you breath in your lungs. You can guarantee the second that you're breathing right now. But beyond that, friends, there are no guarantees. And that's why God wants you to live your life connected as the branches to the vine, flowing, and understand that He wants you to be rich in good works, being blessed to be a blessing, sharing your time, talents, and treasures with others, doing business till Jesus comes again, Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Putting God in first place. Continually asking God, what would you have me to do with what you've given to me? And being directed by the master. Let's pray.